Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBidP podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody really writes it down. There's no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Professor Andrew Page. Nabil is the head of informatics at the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK. And Andrew is the director of technical innovation for Theogen in Cambridge, UK. I am Dr. Lee Katz, and I'm a senior bioinformatician at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta in the United States. You all might have heard about new artificial intelligence tools that have come out this year. We are especially amazed by the generative predictive text category of AI, also known as GPT. We're going to chat about ChatGPT, Bing, BARD, and the like. We use these tools for several general cases, such as generating boilerplate programs, making draft documents or emails, and summarizing documents. What have you guys been using it for? Well, I've been using it an awful lot in various different guises, but you know, in my day-to-day, actually, I use it a huge amount to write code using VS Code and GitHub Copilot. It's just phenomenal, like when you're writing a bioinformatics script and it can kind of look at everything you've done, look at the context, and then suggest like the exact thing you want. Uh, recently, when I, I've started writing like classes in, in bioinformatics programs, I'll just write a big text description of, you know, this is what I want to do. And here, is, here are the files that go in. And here's an example, maybe top three or four lines of each input file. And then I say, then I just click tab and then it goes and generates like the first stab of the code. And actually it's often about 90% right. And you do have to go in and refine and add things and make little mistakes, or whatever. But generally it, it's all the kind of boilerplate stuff. It does really, really well. And so it's really made my life a lot easier when it comes to coding and things like I can never remember how to use pandas, say in Python. And, you know, because you have to use things quite a lot to to commit them to memory. And, you know, all I have to do now is just get, you know, type a little comment about what I want to do. And then there you go. The correct syntax is there with the correct variable names. And it's just phenomenal. Like you have to try it, particularly Copilot, which I guess I think it's a GPT-4 under the hood. It's just mind-blowing when you start using it, and it saves you so much time. And I think it's probably speeded up my coding by about 20 or 30%, just straight off, no bother. And it's also got other neat little features, like you can just say, explain this line of code, and then it won't just explain it, but it'll explain it in the context of all the other code you've written. And so it knows what you've been trying to do. And then it gives you like a relevant explanation. It's not just a generic one, which is really cool. Uh, And I've just literally about five minutes ago had a a paper accepted, an editorial accepted for MGen. So uh, what is it? Microbial genomics on the ethics of uh, using AI in uh, microbial genomics research, which is coming out soon. Hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, that, that article will be out. And so what we did actually was we wrote the article with at a recent hackathon. We wrote the article with ChatGPT. And so it, this is from its own mind. And then he put a, a little human written artisanal paragraph of an explanation at the front to just introduce the topic and, you know, give our little opinion on it. But, it, you know, it's mostly AI generated, which is really scary because it's actually really good. 
with a companion podcast on, on my other research pages podcast as well, which that in itself was all AI created. ChatGPT created the entire episode on the ethics of using AI in academic research. And then I fed that into 11 labs. I cloned my voice and my partner's voice. And then I haven't trained it on our, our different podcast episodes. And then I put that into 11 labs to generate the actual speech, text to speech. And then wrapped all of that up as a podcast episode. And then I got ChatGPT to suggest an episode title and do show notes and all this kind of jazz. Like it just speeds things up phenomenally. And so it's very, very useful for anyone who uses a computer. That's my that's my initial introduction over. So I'll pass it over to, to you guys. I think the key word that Andrew mentioned was the word boilerplate. And that's for me, where this thing really excels. I've been tinkering with different things. Issues I have are things like, I have a table with dates in different formats. And I ask it, can you make these all ISO formats or year, month, date? And you know, you've got a grab bag of American ones or, or, or it is actually correct, or, or it's written in, in words, it's Tuesday, 2nd of May, whatever it is. And it does a good job of converting that across something that would take me manually quite some time. And it would take me quite some time even to do programmatically to sort of pass that text. So that's one of the use cases that I found that it does fairly well just in tinkering with it. It's something where I go, yes, this is something where I really, really don't want to do this task. And it's great, this thing can just do this for me. I don't have to worry about it. Other use cases I've been tinkering with is I've been feeding it very short summaries of say an abstract of a paper. And I've said, can you condense this down into a few like shorter, make it even less. So instead of 300 words, make it say a hundred words or maybe just three lines long. And it's able to pick that out fairly well. Not perfect, but it's able to pick that out fairly well. I've also been playing around with it to, I, I, I don't use this, but I've sort of in tandem dipped back and forwards when I've replied about some, say someone's asking me about how do I use SSH keys? And I say, okay, well, I already have documentation on how to use SSH keys. So I send that, but then I go, what would chat GPT do? So I ask it, how do you do it? And it writes a pretty good explanation, pretty good tutorial on, on how to do that. But, but, these, but, but that is not a sophisticated thing to do. There is ex- plenty of existing material out there that explains it. And so that's to me like a boilerplate tutorial that I would have to prepare for, for someone. Definitely anything that's more complicated, it doesn't do very well. It has a, a wonderful habit of lying when it doesn't know. And if you're not too careful, you can... You, it, it sounds very, very convincing. So one thing I've been doing is, is feeding it stuff for the Dungeons and Dragons and saying, or asking it about computer games. I asked it, come up with the best, how do I get from Caldera to Ebonheart in Morrowind, which is a bit, some, which is a 20 year old video game. So I'm like, here, here's something a bit esoteric. Can you solve that? And it gives a very good explanation. And if you know anything about the game, you go, oh, okay, you go to the Mages Guild and you can use this and you can use a Silt Strider. But, but those aren't, but those aren't, it was that, yeah, those, those don't go directly to the place. So, so the information is like wrong. 
So it sounds very convincing, but it's wrong. And often I've found that with a lot of things that are a bit more complicated. It just says the wrong thing. <laughs> and I think Andrew wants to comment on that. Yeah, so at, at the most recent food safety and microbial genomics bioinformatics hackathon, I can never remember the names of these, that, that myself and Nabil ran recently in, in Cambridge, I built a script, or rather ChatGPT made a script to which would take in just the name of a bioinformatics tool, and then it would construct a prompt, which then generated a podcast episode. And then that was sent to Eleven Labs to turn that text into speech, which is actually really, really good. It's really good at, Eleven Labs is really good at actually having nice, natural speech. And what we found, and sorry, then that generates show notes and it generates a title. And then I uploaded that to a special kind of test podcast called Microbinfree Bytes, which I presume will go away because no one has really listened to it. But the idea was basically, can we automatically generate reviews of bioinformatics tools? And the answer is, yeah, but it's not always accurate. In fact, I have to tell in the prompt, you know, don't output anyone's name or don't put output any institution. Basically, no, no facts, because it will get them horribly wrong all the time, like blatantly wrong. But it would be so confidently incorrect that it is worrying, you know, and I can see because this is so easy to generate all this stuff, we're going to have we're going to be awash with ChatGPT or GPT generated content quite soon because it's so easy to actually go and generate podcasts automatically, YouTube videos automatically, text automatically, websites. It won't be necessarily correct, but it'll look correct. And so you're not going to necessarily know what's real, what's not. And so it's going to be dangerous. And yeah, we, we are just at the very, you know, we, we can see we're on the beach. We can see, you know, the, the water flowing out and we know a tidal wave is coming of information and it's just going to absolutely slam down on top of us. And so we, we're going to have to be very, very mindful of that, that we are going to have a lot of very low quality information that seems high quality. You know, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. So anyway, that, that little podcast was just an aside as a test. It seems to work and it does have its uses, you know, because a lot of these bioinformatics tools that we write, there is no audio description of them. So, you know, if someone is visually impaired, they can't actually very easily understand these programs without having to do a lot of reading or whatever, use screen readers, and that, that's a challenge. So it it has a use, but I don't think we're there yet. We're, we're, we're nearly there, but we're, you know, I think there does seem to be human in the middle, you know, making sure that these things are actually sane. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here, actually. Megan. So you guys have gone over like a lot of different use cases, and I think <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a beat to to go back for a second. One thing that you both basically said that you use it in common is with boilerplate stuff, and I definitely heard like coding. So like maybe maybe I can just kind of go back to that and and slow us down just a little bit on that one. How how does somebody listening to this? go to GitHub Copilot or VS Code and start using that that predictive text to, to make some code. And if if somebody like that is a an avid Perl user, for example, then could that person use it to to quickly learn another language? So Lee just just suggested something which I think we should just try out live. He's going to pick up a normal Perl script of short, a very short basic one, right? 
and I'm going to try it here on ChatGPT, and you can try it, Andrew. We'll both just do a quick hackathon and ask these things to convert it to Python, and we'll just assess if it does a good job or not. And we know both languages well enough between us, so we can just assess it. I don't think we need to run. Actually, uh, what I'd, I'd be interested in, you know, taking it from Perl to Python back to Perl and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's sort of cl close the circle and see how it goes. So in order for us to get to the boilerplate stuff that we were just talking about and figure out if we can use ChatGPT or, or just any GPT to to read the code and spit it out, we're gonna we're gonna try a little translation party. I pulled up a script under my LSK scripts repo. We're gonna see if we can translate it to what Python and then back to Perl again and see if it does the same thing. This this script in particular takes a non-standard FASTA file where all of the entries are separated by a pipe inside of the sequence, and it'll put it into a standard FASTA format with different entries per sequence. Oh, oh this is writing some very, very, very nice Python, actually. Proper arg parse and everything like that, you know? Are you doing it in ChatGPT or VS Code? I'm doing it in ChatGPT 4. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so the original script had from, from Lee, and we'll put the, the thing in the show notes, it does have a usage as, as all scripts should, and it asks for an output. So that's already specified, but this is create, it's ported that, it seems like it's ported that across to argpass, which is a which is a standard library in Python to do it. And it's using, well, my one is using BioPython as well. Yeah, oh, mine's decided to use BioPython. Which is great. It's it's kept the comments. Lee has some comments at the beginning that says, "Oh, I'm the author," and what the script does, and it's carried that across into the Python. Not mine. Mine has gotten rid of all authorship, and it's just like Lee. Sorry, you're gone. Controls it now. <laughs> it creates the outer. So if settings outer and the path does not exist. <laughs> Make it uses os.makedos to create the, the outdoor, outdoor parameter, which is a thing you kind of need to do with Python. So that's fine. Uh, it's using BioPython to guess the sequence format. Then it reads in the file, it reads in each record from the BioPython object. Then it uses the sec ID to replace de novo pipe to nothing. And then in each of the out in the output dir, if it's specified, it then uh, creates a faster file. If not, it gets ready to pipe directly to system out, standard out. And then it's yeah on each of the pipes, a vertical pipe, it's splitting them, and it writes those out with the corrected header. Closes the file, and it's fine. So that looks pretty good. So I'm ahead, I'm ahead of you now, and I've taken the Python and turned it into Perl again. And I oh. have to say, it's some very well-written Perl. Okay. So I've pasted, um, I've just sent a copy of the Python back to Lee, so he can have a look if it's, if it is indeed what he does. I don't know exactly the four, because it's a non-standard faster than it's reading as the, as the input. So I don't know if it's exactly doing what he's expecting it. So you can have a look at that. But and but Andrew, you're happy with the pearl as it's come back on the other side? 
Uh, it looks all right at a first glance. Obviously, you don't know till you write it. So just paste it in there. It actually, it looks very neat, to be honest. It might put us out of business, you know, if it's writing code this, this good. It looks I, extremely similar to the original. I don't mind if if it takes this. I've got other thing, better things to do than write these kind of scripts anymore. Yeah. It is kind of, kind of mad. I wonder now, it could uh, could he make it even better? Like, could he say, turn this into a pro one-liner? <laughs> Try it and see if we can figure that much out. I, I'm assuming if you give it something where it actually has to comprehend what it's doing, it's going to not do a good job. So it tells me at the end, please note that the conversation is done to the best of my, the conversion is done to the best of my ability, but there still might be slight differences or areas that need further adaptation based on specific requirements or the versions of Python. So that's very nice. It's covering its own, its own ass. Yeah. <laughs> With, saying it might not do exactly <laughs> what it's expected. I am quite impressed. I, I, the thing I can see immediately is is using argpass fairly intelligently. So it's taken the Perl code and created a corresponding Python version of it, and it's done and it's done it well. Oh, I think it's great. I guess you're still assessing the Python code or the Perl code lead yourself to see if it really is doing what it's supposed to do. I mean, I, I'm not going to know until I run it. I'm probably not going to run it, but it, it looks right. Have you seen a pro one-liner just popped in there? It seems to have done a, an interesting job. Maybe we could obfuscate all of our code doing this. Well, you do that with JavaScript already, right? You minim minimize or minify code. We could do that here. I don't know why you'd want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wonder what you know could you go like like pearl python rust go you know and go around like 10 different languages and then go all the way back to Perl and see what it looks like at the very end well why don't we do that so let's give it some let, why don't we ask it to generate the initial script actually because it should be able to do that what's something really simple so how about this in python translate dna into protein let's say if it can do that, right? So I'm going to give that as a, as a prompt and we'll see how it does. And then I'll just ask it, take the code above and convert it into Rust and see how it works. I'm, I'm using a simpler example because I don't know Rust at all. So I'd need a simpler example for me to just make sure that it's doing, verify that it's doing what it's supposed to. So can I follow along with you? You're you're just saying make a program to do what again? I'm just saying in Python translate DNA into protein. So, so it, it, sorry, in, in the chat I just posted in the prompt that I put when I was talking VS Code, I just popped in this kind of prompt at the top of the file, which is just a text description of what I want the class to do and an example of the different headers and files and example data. And then from that, it went and generated the full class and basically 95% of the actual code, which is- and You phenomenal. feel like it does, this is like, I mean, this is something you, you, you know, task you're familiar with. So you think it's doing what it's supposed to? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it did it super, super good. And and we're talking, I mean, I'll read out your initial instruction. I mean, this is saying a class which takes in two spreadsheets, assembly metadata spreadsheet and Gambit files was uh, Gambit results file, and then compares them with pandas. Like it's not that specific in, you're not writing pseudocode and then it's just transcribing that into, into, into the correct syntax. You're like, you're giving a fairly high level conceptual, you know, instruction. Yeah. And then the rest of it is I tell it why. So it's, so they can work out how good Gambit is at recording species. Then the columns are joined on the accession number, like a GCA, which is first come both spreadsheets, the species column from assembly method, the spreadsheet needs to be compared to equivalent predicted name column in the other file. And then I say the spreadsheets are in the following formats. And I say, you know, assembly metadata spreadsheet file format. And then I give the headers and then I give four lines of base the what of real content. And then similarly I give the other file and then give the header and then some content. And from that it has enough information to then go and make the code for you which is just phenomenal because it was a lot quicker for me to type that stuff than it is to type code that works. Is it a little scary though? You don't know if you're going to not have it join on, on one nuanced row or something. You do have to read through it and check it, but it's a lot easier to scan through a file and check something than it is to go and write it from scratch. And then, you know, as a human typing on a keyboard, I'll make mistakes or I'll forget things or I'll have to look up things. And, you know, so it gets it mostly right. But if you don't know how to program, then that's scary because you won't know how to actually sanity check all of this. You know, me having done it 20 times, you know, or 200 times, I know exactly what needs to be there and where and what it will look like ultimately. So I can spot errors. But if you're coming at this, you know, as a, you know, a freshly minted undergrad or PhD student, and you think that this is going to write everything for you perfect each time, well, no, it, it'll get mostly there, but it won't do it fully correct. Okay. So if I wanted to take this from ChatGPT, the free version into like VS code, what do I have to do? Do I have to get like an API key or what? So you sign up on GitHub. So I pay $10 a month to GitHub for Copilot. And that's super cheap. And then in VS Code, VS Code is just phenomenal as an ID. You just add an extension and it gets you to log into your GitHub. And from there on, it just has this teeny little icon down in the corner. And it's always working. And as you type, you'll see a little kind of spinning, you know, kind of thinking thing. And it goes away and it will suggest things. And then you'll see in gray text, you know, what its suggestions are. And you just press tab to accept. And it goes a bit further because there is like GitHub Copilot chat, which is a waiting list only at the moment. So you have to, first of all, pay for Copilot and then you can go on a waiting list for chat. And that integrates even more. Like it's vastly better. It gives you basically chat GPT, chat functionality within the browser. And then if it suggests some code, there's a little button, you know, to insert it where your cursor is in your text file. 
And so you can insert the code directly. It knows the context of what you write. So I write when I write Python, I use lots and lots of classes in different files and a spread out. And it understands all of those within a project. You can get it to explain lines of code. You can get it to fix errors. You know, when you get errors, it can fix them for you, which is just shocking. Like, but mostly what I use it for is as I'm typing, I type in comments. Uh, I type in a comment, you know, this method will do blah, blah, blah. And then it'll write the method, you know, to suggest a reasonable method name, reasonable things in and out. And, you know, sometimes it then links other methods, which it, it, you haven't written. And then next time when you go and press tab, it'll write those as well. Now it does get things slightly confused and, and wrong sometimes. You do have to guide it, but it is very good. And a lot of you know, a lot of coding, you know, is just bashing keyboard. It's also very good for writing tests as well, because it knows this kind of standard things you need to test, you know, boundaries and, and whatnot, or do files exist or and so it's very good at testing those. And again, writing lots of unit tests very quickly because unit tests are boring and you have to, usually it's a typing challenge and copy and paste challenge rather than, than anything else. So it does really speed that up and that then improves the quality of your code. You can get it to, cut, to, to explain the line of code in great detail and give you the context. And you can get it to write comments for you. So you can go the opposite way, you know, give them some code, write some comments and tell me what it does. Like, it's just, it's super cool. So I gave it, while we've been talking, I gave it a prompt to just chat GPT. I said, in Python, translate DNA into protein. And what it's done is it said, well, to do this, you can use the BioPython library. It gave me some example code. It imports the library. It, uh, it's written a method. And it's done a very simple thing of initiating a sequence object with the DNA sequences input. And then it's using the correct UPAC flag to, to use the right, to sort of use the right alphabet. Let's use the translate method to translate it. And it returns that protein sequence. And it's got a little example down the bottom of how it would work. And as far as I can read, having done this, as Andrew says, like done this hundreds and hundreds of times, the syntax and the code is basically correct out of the box. It will just do that. I asked it to then translate this into equivalent code in Rust. I don't know Rust, but based on the syntax on the code it's generated, it looks pretty convincing. Lee, do you, what do you think? I read that? the code. It looks good. Yeah. I, I think it would like, just wow. There's like every single line of Rust. I have to like, I might remember it, but I have to go look it up too. And just like Andrew was saying earlier with Pandas, but like... I have to look up stuff. I don't remember how to how certain libraries look. I'm going to ask it to do the same thing in JavaScript, which I could actually interpret. Oh, it, but it, it very much likes to you. Okay, it's generating it now. Yeah, that looks right. Yeah, yeah. so like all this stuff that we have to look up, like <laughs> it instead of like searching like 15 different Stack Overflow pages, it's like it just produces it for you. I think that's the thing here. It's this boilerplate stuff that you're going to stack overflow anyway. So maybe you forget how this comprehension works in Python and you just tell it, do that. And it'll just do that. But if you're doing anything beyond the stack of, because it's trained on that sort of material, right? It's probably read something along the lines of stack overflow. So it can just regurgitate, it can tailor it 
your problem and regurgitate that back to you. But if you then ask it a question that hasn't been done before, it doesn't know what to do. It does and it and it lies. It tries because it's been trained to give a response. I don't think it's allowed to ever say, hey, I, unless unless it's a thing where it's like ethically they put these constraints in, but the machine is never allowed to say, oh, I don't feel confident about this. <laughs> Which is sort of, and that's sort of where the problem lies with it. Have you, have you come across some code where it's like, I won't do that? Do you have to do, you have to do some jailbreaking? I've seen people ask it. I mean, one of the things it says it can't do is translate to different, I think they might've changed it, but early on it was, it had a problem with that. It said, I don't want to do that. I've been trained on English, so that's what I know. I think if you ask it to do code that's unethical, so you, I don't know, you, you make it do something racist. I don't know what racist code would look like, but it, it doesn't want to do that. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. that sort of thing. But these are, these are constraints that have been set on artificially on top of it by the developers to, to help it avoid doing things. So I think I'm not going to do it because I'm not that, I just don't feel comfortable doing it, but I don't want, but I, I'm assuming if you ask it to write malicious code, it won't. Yeah. If, if you, you tell if it you the code to, is malicious, if you wanted like, to write make, me um, a deliberately malicious script that deletes everyone's files on their computer, it should hopefully say no. I'm um, thinking of, of that virus that they can you give me code to, to make it so that centrifuges are unbalanced. <laughs> just slightly unbalanced so that we don't know if our nuclear program is working or not. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So I, I gave it, I just gave it this prompt, write me a malicious script to delete everyone's data. And it says, I'm sorry, I cannot assist with creating or promoting malicious scripts as it goes against my ethical guidelines. My purpose is to provide helpful and response, responsible information to users. So there you go. I'm lead. I'm giving it a leading question because I'm deliberately asking it, write me a malicious script. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to say, well, no. <laughs> if I do it covertly enough, I'm sure you can squeeze it out. But, but then that you can do with anything you can sort of break it. Hi, so that's all the time we have for, for this episode of the MicroBinfi podcast. We've been talking about new artificial intelligence tools particularly ChatGPT, and we've been doing some sort of live demo of how it would generate code for bioinformatics applications. And hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. Follow us on Twitter at MicroBinfi. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.